Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast with me, Tally Rye. This is the podcast that helps you have a feel-good relationship with fitness, food, and body image. And today, I'm very excited for this episode. We are chatting to Dr. Brendan Stubbs, who is one of the top 1% highest cited researchers in the world. He's written over 700 academic papers and he specializes in the links between exercise and mental health. I absolutely loved chatting to Brendan in this episode. We learn so much about how movement impacts our brain, impacts our mental health and how focusing on weight and aesthetics is really short-sighted when it comes to exercise and movement and really sells it short. So I think you're going to take a lot of encouragement from this episode. But of course, before we get into that, it is time for Train Happy Trooper of the Week. Now, I'm nominating myself for Train Happy Trooper of the Week this week because I just had the most amazing workout class this morning. I was fortunate enough to go to a brand event and they chose to do it at Frame in London. And it was a dance cardio event with a guy called Chris. I'm, I'm shouting him out specifically because if you live in London and you get the opportunity to do his class, I think you're just going to have the best time because truly the energy he brought to the room, the moves, the music, it just really lined up to just be everything I love personally in a kind of dance workout. And it just made me feel so good. I chat about this in this episode with Brendan because I wanted to know like what was going on in my brain in that moment. I have felt so great during (laughs) and after um, and it really has just energized me for the day and I just feel amazing. So if you're thinking, you know, oh, dancing doesn't count enough as cardio. Cardio has to be on a machine you know, in the gym or it has to be running or it has to be really vigorous, you know, you can do so many things, fun things to raise your heart rate. And I just really recommend this class as one of them. Now, if you have a train happy moment to share, then we of course want to hear from you. So please, you can share it like me. You can WhatsApp us. You can send us a voice note or a text. We do love a voice note. Send it into 075-999-27537. And if you are international, please put a plus four four in front of that. And we would love to hear from you. But enough from me. Let's get into this week's episode with the brilliant Dr. Brendan Stubbs. Dr. Brendan Stubbs, welcome to the podcast. We've been trying to make this happen for a while. Thank you so much for coming in. We really appreciate it. I appreciate it and I'm so pleased to be here really looking forward to talking to you. I'm really looking forward to talking to you because even in our like little chat we've already had several moments where we've gone no 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 no, save it for the podcast save it for when we're recording because this episode I really want it to be just 
a great reminder for people of all the incredible benefits of exercise that have nothing to do with weight or appearance because that is what traditional marketing is always focused on and yet I feel is really holding people back from finding kind of a long-term reason to move their bodies and I have a feeling that's we're kind of um aligned in our thinking and I'm sure you've you've got a ton of uh, research and evidence um to hopefully back up my claims um but before we get into it, I would I think it would just be really interesting to hear how you came to become such a prolific researcher in the space of exercise and mental health. It's like, is it about 700 studies you've... It is, you've, yeah. Uh, I had some, had a misspent uh, decade of my life where I got a bit involved in research and with a great group of people and we we're really passionate and enthusiastic about it and we just kind of got a bit carried away. So I think we've really realised that we probably know enough now. Now it's really important to talk about this so everybody can hear about what does the evidence say and really implement it. That's why I'm so passionate about you know, joining people like yourself and your audience to talk about all of what we know. My friend is now engaged to a um, a scientist and he's hoping to get, you know, probably his first big paper published. And you've done 700. I think people don't actually quite appreciate how incredible that feat is. Not many people have done 700 papers. No, no, not many. And very uh, esteemed professors for who've been there for many decades haven't done that many. So uh, by metrics, boring metrics, it does put me in a in a very high percentile of the sort of top researchers of all disciplines. Um, yeah, it's not a feat I'm massively proud of, but uh, yeah, we've made. Be. I know, but uh, yeah, I really want to get the message out now. So we've done lots, and it adds to the credibility, right? Yeah. So uh, I guess it kind of says I, I know a bit what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. You've done a lot of stuff. I think you. I saw something where you said, "I've I've read over ten thousand papers." You know, I've. This is your bread and butter. I would love to know how you even came to specialize in this area. It's a number of sort of really fortunate uh, circumstances that were really beyond my control. So I came into mental health and focusing in in mental health uh, twenty years ago, and it was after graduating. So physiotherapy first, and I was a bit like not really feeling a lot of the areas and then I finished like my degree and I wanted to go home back to, back to my parents and my mum was sort of like looking at her clock and saying come on Brendan you know get a job or something do something and she worked in a mental health hospital at that time and she knew the head of physiotherapy she's like go just go in and have a chat so before I knew it, I was having like a, an informal interview with the head of physiotherapy and she just said do you want to come and work in it was very unusual for physiotherapists to do that at that time and all of my friends were like why are you going to work in a mental health hospital? Because obviously stigma was not what it is now. People just like everything like padded cells. Yeah, kind of padded like, cells. Are you going to be safe? Are you going to be safe? All yeah. of that stigmatizing yeah. stuff. And um, I, I loved it. You know, I just loved it. The people were fascinating. You know, really rewarding, and people were so receptive. And I just saw such huge potential to make a difference. And I, and I fell in love with mental health and mental illness from there on in, really. And it's just been a wonderful journey of exploration ever since and um, it's always people who teach me the most people that have inspired me with different mental health conditions Mm -hmm. or symptoms or problems and they're the people that have led me to go on to try and find and understand and and do things better because of the sort of struggles and things that we've done with them so that's kind of how I got into it and just got really carried and excited away you know along the way and kind of here I am now uh, you know a little bit down the line bit more experience and kind of got into research again a bit of an accident and again sort of reluctantly fell in love with it and I think when I did my first degree I was like 
I hate studying. I'm never doing anything academic really? ever again. And all of my university friends were like, you were the you know, person we expected to be the least most like a scientist. And they're all like flabbergasted when they see anything that I do. So, you know, it's just it's just strange how life works. And I've just loved it ever since, really. And I'm, I'm very privileged. I've got, you know, an amazing job. I love what I do. I'm just passionate about all of it. And it's, it's great to be able to talk to you about it. I can imagine at the beginning of your career, this was quite an under-researched area when it came to mental health, thinking about, I presume, sort of lifestyle factors that can contribute to improving people's mental health because it has been, I presume, so stigmatized and not thought about necessarily. But I feel, you know, now we're getting headline after headline. And I know recently there's been quite a bit in the news about, you know, this can, you know, if we exercise more, it can help reduce depression and all the rest of this. But you know, you had the foresight to go there. How have you seen this field evolve since you started? Yeah, well, it's been privileged to be part and to sort of witness this previously. So I think public attitudes have changed towards mental health and mental illness massively um, because there wasn't many people really openly talking about their experiences. Now we've got quite a lot of high profile people and that really sort of kind of helps to change public attitudes. You know, someone coming out and talking about depression mm. or not wanting to carry on and, you know, or, or, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, schizophrenia, maybe hearing voices, for instance, or having bipolar or having these, you know, great highs or lows. You know, we just didn't have that. And so that's really helped sort of you know raise awareness that this affects all of us there's nothing to stop you know me when I leave here today having a psychotic episode it could be it could be me um, it could be me tomorrow it could be you know you listening and you know it, it, may, it may be you and I think that's really helped sort of raise awareness that we're all in this and just like physical health we've all got mental health and mm. just like our physical health changes and we get unwell physically mental health does not discriminate it can also you know impact any of us too so huge changes in in sort of public perception that's been massive to sort of openness and awareness in the area and in terms of like the research and interest the research previously was really wishy-washy and quite crap to be honest so it wasn't very good so a lot of people working in the field like psychiatrists doctors just just and rightly so didn't really believe the evidence of physical activity exercise what we eat you know the importance of sleep could really influence our mental health and we had to do some like really obvious studies just to demonstrate you know quite the obvious to get people on side say we well, actually some really credible evidence for that so science has really caught up with what we've known for quite a long period of time and that's changed attitudes and sort of scientists policy makers not this wishy-washy subject which it once was and you know previously mind and body were you know considered mm. quite separately very much a focus on the body and since the you know um, you know loads of evidence has come out to show that we, we can't of course we can't you know just consider you know below the neck as as being important and um you know much with the mental health services for instance you know we're really prioritized looking after people's physical health and, and and vice versa in physical health hospitals so huge changes in the care of people more generally and also health promotion efforts you know it's not wishy-washy to say that you know eating right you know eating you know better or moving more is good for your mental health this is not wishy-washy science or, or something you know a wish list this is actually based on really good evidence so looking forward to unpicking some with you today yes lived experience tells us that movement does make us feel better i mean today i've come to this recording i've just been at an event i did this kind of dance cardio class this morning and i've never had more fun exercising and i was beaming like halfway through the class i was just i don't know i just felt so great and i think it's probably the combination of a bit of sunshine finally it feels like <laughs> winter is ending and we're going into spring and 
this real culmination of things. And I finished that feeling like, oh, there's kind of, a, I've had kind of been carrying around maybe a bit of an anxious cloud the last few months. And it just feels like it's really lifting for me. And I'm like, wow, I feel great. Um, and so I mentioned to you, that I had kind of heard that it's not all endorphins and actually endorphins are a bit of a myth. And I thought maybe you could expand on that. What was going on for me when I was doing that kind of dance class? Like what's going on in my brain? How is that impacting my mood and my overall mental well-being? Yeah, absolutely. So when you commonly like talk to people and I mentioned earlier that just I was in another meeting saying it's it's, it's just due to endorphins, isn't it? Um, but you know, it's so much more complicated than that and so much more beautiful in many ways. And when we move and we're breathing more and our heart's going and we're working our muscles, you know, having this multi-system, so numerous systems within the body are working, the mind and the brain. And also, you know, we're feeling good. If we're doing something we enjoy, which you talked about, right? Mm. You're having fun. Mm. I mean, that just really changes everything you know with endorphins what i'll say briefly before i touch upon what's going on is we actually realize that endorphins have difficulty crossing what's known as the blood brain barrier so to exert an effect within the brain is you know they need to cross that threshold to exert an effect and they they, they are released when they exercise but it's not easy for them to cross over and they need to combine with you know another molecule which is related to sort of pleasure systems and and, and pain too and that's not always so easy so it's not purely due to endorphins and just naming it due to one molecule is, is really reductionist and it's not doing, you know, the joys which you spoke about, you know, anywhere near enough justice. So what do we know? So we know lots is going on. I said multi-systems happening. So whenever we move and talk, and whenever we do anything, we're getting electrical activity in our brain. So specifically when we when we move and engage in, in heart rate activity, um, we're getting like areas that are lighting up within the brain immediately. So like the hippocampus is one area that's often talked about. I've spoke about this quite quite a lot previously, and this is like an emotional processing area of the brain and helps with memory. And another area of the brain that we're really interested in is the prefrontal cortex. And again, this is really important and this sort of lights up immediately and you see this if you put people in scanners and they're doing like light um, functional magnetic resonance imaging scanners and you get them to do light cycling you can see this like lighting up of these key areas of the brain that are shut down when um, people are like depressed anxious and all these other things so these light areas are lit up you know within 30 seconds so you're getting this immediate wow. release and then you're getting lots of release of other um you know chemicals within the brain or other hormones so you're getting like um like growth peptides being released you're getting other factors such as brain derived neurotrophic factor or bdnf and this is like a, a fertilizer which helps sort of grow new cells within the brain or new areas within the brain and new connections within the brain because uh, larger areas in the brain means that that area is being strengthened and increased because the brain's always changing and really sort of making and modeling itself and you get new connections between key areas of the brain. So like areas between hippocampus and prefrontal cortex, the more you use those areas, the more you're sort of building up the size of those and the more you're getting connections between those and other areas of the brain. So that sort of you know helps that and then you're getting sort of release of you know anti-inflammatory you know markers too and, and inflammation's been implicated as possibly being related to the onset of some mental health conditions too such as depression anxiety and you're just getting this release of these uh substances too such as c-reactive protein and some interleukins too and and, and then you're getting other sort of neurochemical factors as well you're getting release of like dopamine this like reward um chemical that's released within you you're getting serotonin released as well 
you know, and I'm just naming, you know, maybe 10% of, of different molecules wow. that are getting released. Um, and all of these are, you know, going around and, you know, concocting themselves together and having this synergistic and big effect on your mental health. And I've just really talked about what's going on in the brain and the bloodstream around the brain at the moment. Um, and, you know, also if we talk about like the, the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system and how, you know, our breathing sort of changes when we engage in exercise and you get regulation within the nervous system, this also plays an important role too. And, you know, and, and then if we look at like the biopsychosocial mechanisms, you know, what's going on in our, our social, you know, setting and how we're feeling about ourselves is you feel a sense of self-esteem if you do something, if you're having fun, you know, it just feels much less effort to sort of do what you're doing. It takes off your mind from the sort of task of, you know, perhaps working hard and you may be able to sort of work harder. So lots is going on and it's a bit reductionist just to say it's just due to one um, hormone or chemical which probably you know doesn't exert you know substantial effect how do we get people to realize that there are there's so much going on in your brain and there's so or your body and brain are benefiting so much because i think if people knew that and this is why i wanted to have this conversation and you know why i will I'll keep banging the drum of all these benefits of movement is because i feel like that feels like a very much more clear benefit and it really goes to show I mean it's not so sexy to say like I'm reducing my risk of depression and I am you know uh, anti-inflammatory properties are released in my brain like that doesn't sound sexy and yet this is really important stuff for not only right now but as we age right and I presume there's also links there with developing like Alzheimer's and dementia which are I believe like some of the biggest killers in the UK actually. Yeah. Um and it's these are all the things that we can do like right now today I did today, it this morning and to protect to protect our brain so we get the immediate effect which you described and then we get the longer term effect and we know that you know the more you do these activities the more active you are that it can help reduce your risk of depression in the future we've shown anxiety you know post traumatic stress disorder as well in terms of reducing the risk um, you know, and also dementia, as you said, and, and these all sort of add up to help keep us healthy. And we've not even really talked about the physical health benefits mm. as well, which we know as well in terms of like, I don't know, your risk of diabetes in the future. And and this can really sort of help. And again, I'm not saying this is the solution, the only thing. Well, but this was, part of, I okay. have this question because I think, I think this is where maybe there's like there's not a lot of place for nuance in headlines is there no and we see a lot of discussion around the mental health benefits of exercise and for example i think you were part of a study recently and they're saying like you can you know exercise is just as good as medication for treating depression as a as an example i think the kind of media sometimes kind of likes to all go in on one thing so it can't be both true that medication and exercise are you know both important for different people in different contexts and you know but we like to go like well it's just exercise and so it kind of lacks that nuance do you get frustrated sometimes thinking okay this is really exciting and also let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah quite and you've got this sort of you know difficult scenario whereas researchers as a wearing my research hat we're naturally quite reserved we don't like to make big statements we like to be cautious we like to heavy heavily caveat things 
and that's pretty boring headlines. Yeah, yeah. So you go to like you you know like a press release or something. It's just it's just boring when you add all of that in. So we've really got to carefully caveat or everything that we're coming out with because no research into anything is ever perfect, and there's always caveats. Um, but it's really with this sort of you know, overarching amount of evidence, which you know we're sort of you know very confident in. And I think there's a few sort of false and false and unfortunate dichotomies where we're saying you know this is as good as X or Y, and we kind of had to do that to sort of try and get some equivalence mm. and sort of some credibility within it. I think as researchers, um, we've got a responsibility also to be really careful about how we communicate research too. So I'll give you an example about um, you know exercise and depression recently. So there was two papers um, that came out recently. So it was a big paper and you know, I wasn't involved in either, but they're both great. So one was in the British Journal of Sports Medicine and these authors um, looked at 97 reviews. So reviews of previously published literature um, of exercise and say, does it help for depression and anxiety and, you know, the general population, so people without conditions or HIV, cancer and lots of other things and really good, really robust. And they found, you know, unsurprisingly, like lots of other stuff has done that it does help when you uh, have exercise as an intervention. But the headline which came out, and I'm not sure if it's the press release or the media, was, you know, exercise is 1.5 times more effective than medication. Mm. And um, they didn't look at that question. So they didn't look, they didn't, you know, they didn't compare exercise versus medication. So, you know, in order to have that statement, you've really got to compare those two things together. And it's just not a helpful narrative to have because like you said some people respond to medication at different times and some people really need it and some people respond to exercise at other times and you know why not if I was struggling today I would have both and I'd have anything that you know I needed to mm-hmm. to get well as well as such so we don't want to sort of you know alienate any option because you know it's all important for all of us as is talking therapies and everything else too so this was just a really um and it, and it, it just you know of course because the headline you know just spread like everywhere and I'm just seeing it everywhere 1.5 times more but they didn't look at that and it's just it's just a dishonest headline. It's not true. And unfortunately, from a research perspective, there was a really, really good study in the Netherlands, which actually looked at this question. It's a really important question to look at, mm. but just to sort of place context and how good is running. They looked at running um, two or three times a week over 16 weeks in what we call a randomized control trial. And this is where you randomize people to you know one intervention or another. So it reduces the risk of bias. And it's very sort of credible from a research perspective. And what they did in this study in the Netherlands, uh, about 160 people from memories, um, people were allocated to the running group or the antidepressant group for their first treatment for depression. And what they found is in this that exercise and medication were just as good for treating mental health symptoms. Fantastic. So they both worked just as well as each other, but the exercise was better also for your physical health. And that's a really novel study because nobody has really directly compared these head to head previously, um, showing that they both work. And and that's probably the truth is they're both just as good as each other in these mild to moderate cases of depression, not the other headline, which is just a bit misleading. Yeah, because medication is life saving for some people, Quite. but so is so can movement be in some instances. Quite. So it's, you know, it's like let's have many ingredients in the pie yeah. um and it uh, interesting you mentioned like talking therapy as well because i think there's this statement in the fitness industry that really winds me up that is like exercise is therapy and i find it really frustrating because i think that gives people it feels like a permission slip to only exercise and i think when we do that it leads down a slippery slope of developing potentially really disordered relationship with exercise because we over rely on one thing and we don't feel like we've got anything else in our 
toolkit but what I'm hearing from you is that we actually need multiple tools and it really dependent on the person it's really dependent on the person it's really dependent on the point in time and I would recommend you get what's best for you and that may include a combination of all of those mm. maybe at the same time maybe at different times I mean they all fundamentally serve to make you you feel better and have a good experience but they all do different things really mm. um, I mean talking therapies you know is a you know specialist psychological therapy with a trained person who is guiding you through you know a, a process and processing things and helping you make decisions and you know, lots of other things. That's very different from engaging in exercise and over-reliance on any one thing is not very good. And we want to help people to have a, in the context of exercise, a positive relationship with this. We're not where it's sort of almost becoming like a, I don't really like the word, but like a crutch. I can't think yeah. of anything else on, yeah. the, on the time. You know, it's there to be enjoyed and to be positive. And, you know, if you are dealing with issues and you are dealing with low mood and, and you know, we need to talk about some of these with a trained professional person who can help us overcome those. And I think that we really need to acknowledge there's a place for everything in here. And if you need help, go and you know get the appropriate help. I like that in that study as well that you mentioned um, where it was comparing medication and exercise that in that they're asking people to move two to three times a week, which I think feels, you know, I know at a point in time for me, that was like, that's not enough because you got to do it five, six times a week for it to count. I think it's actually nice to show that even the research is looking at realistic goals for people rather than that this idea that we have to be complete gym bunnies or we have to be doing something every day that that there's this idea that finding some space in your life but not too much space but consistently is more important is it do you feel that consistency is greater than necessarily quantity within a week say absolutely and you know particularly if you think about depression and low mood you know, if you sort of said to me, you know, and I was really depressed and anxious, you know, you've got to go and exercise five or six times a week, I'd be like, I can't do that. Can't even get out of bed. Yeah, I can't even get out of bed. You know, I've worked with many people and I know many people in my, in my own life who that's just, just impossible. So it's really important to meet people where they are and, you know, getting started is just really important for some people uh, and just, you know, experiencing success because if we don't experience some success early on, then we're just not going to get started and not going to sort of initiate and the physical activity and we're not going to, you know, carry on with that. So, you know, it's important early on when we're working with people with depression, anxiety, we're not feeling great. Just getting out and doing something is really better than nothing. And once you get up and going and you've got your confidence and you've enjoyed it and you know you can do it, then, you know, more is better than some. But just get started really is really important. If we look at like guidelines or 150 minutes, these are you know, moderate or, or vigorous physical activity. These are for, you know, the general population. These are ideal targets. And most people don't meet these. And it's important that you realise you don't have to get there straight away. Some people mm -hmm. may never get there. But it's a process of building up over time. And, you know, like with anything that's good for us, is we want to build a long-term, sustainable enjoyable relationship and why not go and have fun with your movement and go on a relate you know a relationship with movement and fun where you can you know really try different things and experience you know new sort of movement types and go and have fun you know with yes. all of those things well it's train happy podcast for a reason brendan um so when you're talking about some rather than nothing and we're talking about physical activity, I think, like I said, and, and 150 minutes of physical activity, I think so many of us think that that does involve, right, I've got to go and do a boot camp class or I've got to go and do whatever else. But it can be something like physical activity is actually a broad term. Am I correct? You are. So, 
Yeah, it's it, the terms get used interchangeably, but sort of by yeah, boring research definition, physical activity generally means any bodily movement that increases your energy expenditure. So my gardening yesterday, and I was sweeping my patio, and I was doing my back in. That was <laughs> very much so. But be careful of your <laughs> yeah, back. So that's that's it. You know, any you know, movement, and then sort of you know, exercise is specifically you know a subset of physical activity where we're setting out you know with the intention of improving our sort of fitness specifically, and many people have sort of difficult sort of you know connotations around the word exercise if you not yes. had very positive experiences <laughs> early on it can just be movement yeah because i think it's a neutral term i think exercise for some people i know especially people i work with because i really work with you know a, a group of people and i think a lot of the listeners we're quite sensitive to the word exercise because we probably had quite a negative experience with it it felt like a chore it felt very compulsive maybe and using movement and physical activity i think feels so much more broader in general and takes the pressure off yeah and it's not loaded right yes. i mean particularly if you just i don't know if you think about like those difficult times like pe and it was felt quite yeah. If you weren't really good at sports, if you weren't feeling like you're naturally athletic, then you felt like there was no place for you. And no wonder we're setting up people not to have a, you know, a you know, a lifelong, you know, nice relationship with movement, which is to be enjoyed and go on your own journey with it. Is there anything in the research where it's shown like different forms of movement? Maybe it's like more outdoor activities or um you know, I'm thinking of things like, I don't know, paddleboarding or rock climbing or is is there stuff to show that that there is a preference for a type of exercise or or movement, should I say? So we'll say a bit about intensity, so how hard we're working first, and then I'll yeah. talk a bit about um, the type, the type of, of, of activity. So generally speaking, most guidelines are set up around, you know, moderate or, or vigorous intensity, and this is your heart rate working in a particular zone and you know, moderate activities or movements could be where you're sort of starting to take some really quite deep breaths. I don't know, just sort of walking briskly, you know, doing a, a light dance or perhaps playing a bit of tennis, but you're still able to maintain a conversation. And vigorous is where you, you know, really find it quite difficult to maintain a conversation. And light has been really neglected, but there's also good benefits associated with light activities, such as gentle, you know, walking around or some gentle gardening, for instance. So those are all set up towards moderate and vigorous uh, intensity activity. But the research shows that you know light activity is very beneficial for your mental and physical health as is moderate and vigorous physical activity and generally you know if people move along that continuum from intensity you tend to see you know increased benefits but the problem is not many people like you know smashing it all of the time um and it's not sustainable quite i don't want to smash it every day no i i don't um (laughs) because it's not sustainable it's not enjoyable so there's no point going up and saying i'm going to go and hammer this if you're not going to sort of feel good that day or the next day and you don't want to do it think oh no i've got to go out and you know smash it at all so really it's just about getting some in where you're just getting your heart rate up and you're working your muscles and we know the importance of resistance exercise too and that's reflected in guidelines so all intensity movement is good but the most important thing is do something which you're not going to be scared about going to do the next Mm -hmm. day and you're going to go and have Mm -hmm. fun Um, and in terms of like type so really type is basically they all they're all very helpful in terms of improving your mental health so there's evidence around like pilates yoga um my friends recently done a trial and, and sort of rock climbing oh, cool. as well yeah simon rosenbaum give him a shout out from uh, australia so showing the benefits of that then we also know in terms of like resistance training work is also good running is good so basically the key message is just find something you enjoy and then go and have fun 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Mum's The Word is a brand new parenting podcast hosted by me, Ashley James. Pregnancy, piles, and all the other problems that come with parenting, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. Join me each week on my journey through motherhood as we celebrate the amazing highs as well as the lows. As it's my first time, we'll have celebrities, experts, and hopefully you guys too who will help me figure out what the hell I'm supposed to be doing. Find us wherever you got this podcast. Something I do with my um, clients I work in with intuitive movement is I get them to figure out a zero to 10 effort scale essentially. And we kind of work out what's what feels like comfortable, moderate and hard on that zero to 10. And we often realize that most people feel like for it to count, and I use air quotes for that, it has to be like a seven, eight, nine, ten and that they have only historically really done a seven, eight, nine, ten. And we look at this whole scale and I, I always say to them, I'm like, look, if you're gonna have a consistent long-term relationship with movement, we need everything along the scale. And actually you're, you're gonna find more consistency in probably a zero to a seven than you are in only doing seven, eight, nine, ten. So why don't we start there? And then you kind of bop up to that higher end of the scale, but only when you're ready, because that's how we build that consistency. And I really appreciate that you've essentially completely validated what i've said there there you go it's great advice i'll go <laughs> further than that so it's great advice thank you thanks i've got the uh, stamp of approval i know we mentioned um depression in particular but is there anything else that we really need to know about those sort of benefits for that because i know that that is you know one of the most talked about well-known kind of mental illnesses and one that people often suffer with in silence and is there any kind of advice you have in a what we know and b how those who may be listening who have experienced bouts of depression in their life can think about how movement can play a role going forward yeah so first of all you know i hope that you're not feeling alone you know if you mm. are struggling today and you know reach out to someone and, and i think you know speaking from experience of helping people and being around people i think you know, if you are feeling you know struggling is it can feel like the hardest thing to do but reach out to a, reach out to a friend and it can just start off with a walk mm. you know or something quite nice it's often good to disguise any movement in terms of you know if you maybe it's your friend that's struggling and you know that they're finding a difficult time you say come out for a walk and then you're kind of like disguising the elements of you're going out for a bit of movement you know that person may be in isolation struggling and we know that's common and getting some fresh air and all of these can help people and again we're starting with something quite light because if you're in that space where you don't want to go out you don't want to socialize you know getting up to a say seven eight nine ten i mean it's just you're just not going to get started mm. so that's just really important when you know people are getting 
getting started and just experience some success early on if you are struggling with depression is so key because you can just feel that you know you're just never going to get over this you can't do it you can't do anything and these are quite generic sort of statements that I've, I've heard lots of so um you know just experience some success because you just feel everything's going against you when you're in that moment so if you go out and do something positive and just sort of take the focus off necessarily about how you're feeling and everything and it's just so it can be such a positive experience so i think that's just really key for people going on and 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 not for all people but that sense of social support um is really key for like people you know who do or don't have depression because we always feel we're part of something um whether it be a, a group of people with similar ideas or a group of people doing sport or someone like an accountability partner and that's just so good to sort of bring people out of uh you know how they may be feeling at a particular time and it can help you know, increase sort of commitment to sort of do something without too much pressure kind of relax it and like it's a byproduct rather than yeah. the main the main focus yeah quite and then you just sort of you know you can go go with it in terms yeah. of how you're going forward so you know I'd just say to those people in terms of starting and just know that it can be a really important part of everybody you know if you do and don't have depression of helping you feel better today it can help you know as part of an overall lifestyle approach and everything else to help you feel better in the longer term and if you are struggling it can be a really important part of helping you you know get on the road to recovery as part of other treatment approaches too. I want to ask about exercise and ADHD because ADHD is a big thing. I've had one of my very close friends diagnosed. Um, I'm confident it's within the Rye family quite heavily. Um, and I know that we mentioned earlier when we were talking about endorphins, we mentioned kind of dopamine and all that kind of stuff. Um, we know that there there is evidence, and I think thanks to social media really that a lot more people are aware of kind of traits of a neurodivergent brain and how movement can really play a role in supporting that and helping you kind of cope and manage and so I just I was curious from a selfish perspective but I'm sure lots of people listening are probably having similar conversations with their friends and family if they're anything like my friends and family how can movement support those who who may feel that they have ADHD. Yeah, so there is, you know, good and emerging evidence that physical activity and movement can, you know, help people with ADHD. You know, so we've done, you know, research in, in younger people too, where we tend to see the onset. Um, but there's a whole generation, lots of people who, you know, missed you know that recognition early on. And now we're seeing, as you know, mentioned, lots more people having this picked up later on in life. But that, you know, we're shown that it can help early on with people and also in adults there's good evidence that it can also improve people's ADHD symptoms and improve concentration focus particularly if you do like a you know a short bout of, of exercise because it really sort of helps regulate the nervous system and and again you know ADHD is like a, a broad construct but it helps sort of dial down the you know the over excitement within the nervous system which people can feel particularly if we're living in like modern world and society where you may be sort of sitting still for excessive long periods of time having to sort of listen for a long periods of time and, and find it difficult to sort of concentrate and focus and breaking up your day with like snacks of, of movement or short bouts of exercise can really dial back in the concentration, the focus of people. And also what we can see with, with some people with ADHD is, you know, we call them like motor symptoms and people get a bit fidgety. I get 
quite mm. fidgety as well and and we tend to also see as like a dialing down of of, of this too and then people are able to sort of you know relax with their breathing and, and breathing within this is is very important too so i think we've got much more to learn about mm. this and it's going to be an exciting journey i think again something which can impact lots of people but lots of people report when they engage in you know activity and, and movement they just feel a you know, sense of calmness and being able to go back and concentrate and, and, and do and feel better after yeah another another topic for you to look at in the next 700 studies i'm sure i'll I'm hand sure. the baton over now <laughs> <laughs> there's so yeah there's plenty of um stuff we don't know right um and there's always questions to be answered i'm i'm sure that movement can play a role in just helping you kind of cope and manage and find yeah the headspace and the clarity and the focus is that to do with that hippocampus part of our brain? And you know, I think on this point and other points, I think it's good for scientists and, and people who communicate science, you know, and I'm talking to myself here, is have a bit of humility around, you know, we, we don't know most things. We're, we're guessing at a lot of stuff um, and we've got much more to learn from a science perspective. That doesn't mean we, we can't communicate this, mm. but it means that we've just got to caveat it. And, you know, anyone who uh, sort of comes out and has a definitive answer for all things, um, yeah, we've just got to be a bit careful really I think particularly when we're you know new and emerging concepts like ADHD um, and also the brain uh, so you know that's just one of my uh, you know points which is things careful to consider mm. I think when we're looking at when we're looking at the brain and, and what's happening um, basically lots uh, lots is happening when we engage in movement and exercise but I think one of the sort of key areas that's really happening is we're getting a stimulation within the reward processing area of the brain um, you know the limbic system uh, and also you know sort of pain modulating systems too so we get a sense of pain relief um, which which sounds a bit strange when we're engaging in exercise but it's similar to um, some of like the opioid receptors which we mm. which we have within the brain or endocannabinoid receptors and, and this sort of you know brings this sense of relaxation which we get from engaging in exercise so after if you've done about of, of, of physical activity or movement and you feel a sense of you know uh, uh, maybe it's 10 minutes after 15 minutes after, oh, I just feel relaxed you know and, and that's some of the key mechanisms the stimulation of the endocannabinoid system which people can feel after about of exercise and that's really you know attenuated or increased in people with adhd and these other uh you know conditions where you get this excitation within the nervous system and the brain you get this sense of almost release like a mm. valve's been let off and people can just sort of relax you know albeit temporarily and just have a bit of clarity of thought and speaking of clarity of thought one of the big projects you've been working on recently is with ASICS it's been on the the mind games it's now a film on Amazon Prime I was lucky enough to get invited to the kind of the premiere unfortunately I've only seen half of it because I had to leave to get a train but essentially it's you and your team working with people working with some of the kind of force of brightest minds um in the world who specifically focus on different sports right i think one was um kind of gaming and like like video gaming instead of me trying to remember why don't we talk to the person who was part of it <laughs> why don't you tell us brendan of, of course <laughs> so this was this was such a privilege to be involved in so we we know that you know more broadly you know exercise is pretty good for our concentration mm. and you know our brain processing power 
But we wanted to sort of look at two things within this mind games study is what happens when we look at like the you know, people who are functioning from their mind perspective at a really high level. So it was a study including 77 sort of you know national or international competitors within what we called mind games. So these were people who were playing uh, you know, competitively games such as chess or mahjong, which is a, uh, a sport played particularly in Asia and Japan, um, and you know, you know speed Rubik's cubes and people got you know, immense concentration or online e-gaming you know for instance or some other examples and these were all competing at a really high level and people who weren't at that time or for the six months prior regularly engaging in, in sort of physical activities so you know what happens in this group very high functioning but not engaging in regular activity and we put them through you know a movement and exercise program what happens to their you know concentration their memory their attention their focus and we looked at this sort of before and after 16 weeks so it was over 20 countries and there was four people followed uh in the film and, and their particular journeys and it was just uh it was just really amazing we saw some really positive benefits in terms of improved concentration memory focus when we tested these in terms of objective assessments we got people to do tests and we were you know, watching them live um, and then also in terms of how people reported they were feeling and people did fitness tests and their fitness also improved um, and it was just you know amazing and people have kept on that sort of positive relationship with movement too so what was our guy who did the mind memory recall game yeah that was ben so he's oh, a really he's, he's incredible the most lovely person ever who had been like a memory recall kind of champion in the 90s and as like returning back to, you know, big comeback. Yeah, big comeback, and was kind of engaging with movement. He like for the first time in his life ever, and it's pretty hilarious about it. Bless him. <laughs> it was, and it was just like great. He he came, and I was there on his sort of first day, and he'd never owned a pair of trainers. He was in his mid sort of forties, and you know he was very dismissive that yeah. physical activity uh, you know could have any benefit for him whatsoever. Um, he came on plimsolls for the you know first session and. Um, and yeah, he was a memory champion, incredibly remarkable guy. I mean, one of the things that he held the world record for was um, memorizing the order of a 52 pack of cards nine times for nine packs wow. in, in a go. Um, and he could remember, you know, the quickest time also to mem world record for memorizing a pack of cards uh, in, I don't think it was like under 30 seconds. He could just memorize it. And it's just like unbelievable brain power and function way beyond what I can do. And sometimes it's just a case of turning on the laptop and where, wherever put this document and that kind of thing. And, and, and he did remarkable and he sort of really fell in love with, you know, movement yeah, did, and walking. He? It was so nice. And he got some great benefits. Um, I won't ruin too much if anyone wants no, to watch don't, it. Cause it. See, I feel like I'm, I got like probably 70% of the way through. So I actually don't, I feel like I need to go and watch the conclusion just to, to see because I think he was particularly lovely. And I, I feel like with him, where exercise has only been marketed about kind of aesthetics and weight, I felt like that's where he kind of slipped through the cracks because he's like, well, I'm not, I don't care about that. That is not a value to me. I'm interested in my passions and, you know, the, the, these sort of memory games and whatever it is his other interests and he wasn't interested in that so like well, well I'm not going to do this I, I don't think there's really any benefit because I don't really care about that and I think there are a lot of people out there who have also slipped through the cracks and have gone oh this isn't for me so you know why would I go and run I don't care <laughs> you know I don't care you know so much about like looking a certain way in, in swimming trunks on holiday I'll just 
carry on doing nothing because it, it clearly has to be really hard and painful and I don't want to do that. Whereas he found kind of power walking, I think was his thing. It was. And um, yeah, he ended up like quite enjoying it and going, actually, I'm quite pleasantly surprised. This is quite fun. <laughs> he did. He was very pleased because he found that he was just improving improving his performance of what was important to him. Mm. You know, and, and that was just really nice to sort of see. And I think, you know, we've ch- exercise and movement and activity has been sold so short, mm-hmm. so short by saying, you know, you can look a certain way or change how you feel in X amount of time. It's really difficult for all people to do that and that's not sustainable and you know how short-sighted to say that the benefits of, of movement are just to how we look I mean just it's just it's just it's just so short-sighted and, and false really um, because it's very difficult to change you know body size body perception through movement it's not really it's intended you know purpose anyway it's to make this lifelong relationship to just sort of make us feel better and you know with sort of body you know image size or anything you know when you talk to people who are getting a certain way when's enough enough you know it's mm-hmm. never enough mm-hmm. enough is enough for many people and say I'm really happy now I'm just going to sort of carry on with my lovely sort of routine I've got now. If that's your primary determining factor, not many people are happy with that long term. But if we get around to how does it make you feel? Do you feel happier? Do you feel healthier? Then, you know, it's much more sustainable for the long term. And it's much more immediate too. Is You know, like you said, you, you did your uh, you know dance earlier on today. You oh, felt great. Felt amazing. I mean, if you just kept going for, you know, a certain look or a certain change, you know, you'd, be, you'd give up after a short period of time because... It just takes time. It's very difficult. I've done, you know, I've taught a million classes in my career and I have seen people and, you know, work with people who I think have kind of done a class. I've taught a lot of spin classes specifically. And in spin, you'll see they're having like an amazing time. And then they'll kind of look down at their watch and go like, oh, I thought I'd burn more calories than that. Oh, and you can tell that they felt great. And, you know, if they were just present in the moment, they loved it. But then they look at their watch, they kind of look at this data and they go like, oh, actually it wasn't very good then or it wasn't. And I get so frustrated, I want to shake them and be like, your body's getting benefits whether your watch has a certain number on it or not. Your brain and your body have benefited from you doing that movement. Um, And actually it's such a shame that because we rely on a lot of external data to kind of validate what we're doing, often we forget to actually (laughs) tap, you know, kind of, tap in and connect Mm. to how it actually feels when you're in your body in the moment because you can feel it right then and there I think of course you can and that feeling that you get you know is, is is you know almost immediate and then you get sort of relaxation typically after I mean you know not many things that you do sort of really give you that um and it's just so important to sort of be there be present and appreciate that um and it doesn't need to be you know a really long period of time or anything else you know in terms of you know really intense just doing you know something and just know that you're having a really positive impact on your mind and also your brain um and not many things can have such a positive impact you know on those vital you know organs you know within us and really the sort of brain and the mind is 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 so unique um you know we can replace if we need to like i don't know a finger or an arm or a leg you know even a heart for Mm. instance you know we can we can you know exercise movement can help all of these things but when it comes to looking after our brain and our mind and how we feel we can't have a brain transplant but uh we know we can sort of have these immediate positive impacts on these by you know enjoying movement 
Brendan, this has been such a fantastic conversation. And I, before we kind of get into the end of it, I want to just have a little bit of a, not a disclaimer, but just have a, maybe a few pointers from you on who we should, what sources we should be trusting when we're learning about, you know, the benefits of movement and, you know, what might be red flags in some of some of these conversations and what are green flags? Sure. Um, I would say a, a red flag for me personally is anyone who is, uh, well, I'll reframe it, not anyone, but a, a, any any anything that is really saying this is the way the solution you know do you know class x or you know activity type y um because everybody's different and we need to really you know acknowledge mm. that when we're looking after mental health this is really complex and, and and multifaceted and we know that you know movement can really help but you know it's not the primary solution for all people just like medication is not just like talking therapy is not so you know anyone that's sort of already you know offering that's just this is the way don't try anything else then just just sort of be careful for that um and you know i think anything that's you know pushing you really hard um and i mean there's a small subset of people that will like that but really it's to be enjoyed and enjoyment can mean different things to different people some people may really enjoy going mm. really hard and fast and fantastic go for it but most people won't and we need to make it more accessible for all people and this is not to be exclusive for people of a certain fitness level or people who can do a certain length of time so you know it's really really you know important that we do that we just need to be much more inclusive around you know all people that can take part and, and knowing that all movement uh is is really important and i think another area that's that's really important we've started to sort of research and understand you know we've touched upon this a little bit is um I don't particularly like the term, um, but this is the this is the term in the literature at the moment is you know exercise addiction um, mm. in the absence of an eating disorder. So we know that you know if you look at anorexia nervosa, for instance, is it's or, or bulimia, that it's quite quite common for people who have you know who very sort of you know exercise is very very important to them to a detriment. Um, and I think we just you know in the absence of an eating disorder, you know we're aware that there is this group a subset of people um who are you know you know feel a compulsion to continue to you know engage in movement and activity mm. you know even when you know it'd be much more beneficial for them to rest they may have an injury and feel a need to go it's impacting their social life for instance um it's impacting their you know wanting to sort of go out and they feel you know quite unhappy if they don't mm -hmm. go and, and exercise or you know do activity I myself in that at one point in my life yeah, yeah. me 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 too mm. and you know, I think, you know, and there may be some people if you go into a certain class or a certain, you know, gym or a certain mm. other facility that you see some people are, no matter what time you go, um, they're all, they're, you know, this people, that they're always there. Yes. Um, and something is generally, without being stigmatizing or anything, you know, something is, is going on, for, you know, for those people. And I think we just need to be quite careful that this is about developing sustainable, positive, and I don't really like the word positive, but sort of long-term relationships. I think this is a, a, a group that we've, typically sort of neglected uh mm -hmm. in terms of recognizing and almost giving people a pat on the back and you know going to sort of my gym and you've got like score points of how many calories you've burned and people are really you know competitive and i'm not sure that's helpful for you know for, for certain people and i had a phd student mike trot finished a couple of years looking at this area of exercise addiction and we found sort of you know 10 to 20 percent of people that you know engage in in sort of exercise may have this and it's really quite 
unpleasant for people um so i think we need to be careful we do i mean i've worked in several gyms i can think of people <laughs> just people are you know various sort of clients and people you know i've worked in these spaces i've seen these people i recognize you know some of those traits in myself at points and i think you're right that we the, it goes on the radar and i think especially with exercise things get so uh, encouraged and validated because it's only beneficial. It's only, you know, this, but you know, it's those questions of like, are you able to take a rest day without feeling strong feelings of shame and guilt and anxiety and fear, you know? And I think often when we see a lot of um, kind of advice and opinions online, and I think a lot of I mean, broadly speaking, outside that kind of subset of people, but broadly speaking, I think a lot of, I would say, disordered behaviors get very normalized within the fitness industry as a whole. And I often kind of have the question with myself and I I kind of get other people to question it, but like if someone has a healthy relationship with food or even with with exercise, especially, like is is able to do certain things. Um, And I think if we frame it that way, like, that they are able to take time off they are able to not freak out if they can't have access to a gym they are able to go on holiday and not feel like they have to work out and you know there's those things we need to just be aware of because sadly when you are in that space and I've been that space and being the person sharing that online you get a lot of validation from people and they really look up to you like you're this constant source of motivation um and yeah it just kind of feeds this cycle doesn't it because you're going through your you know I I was in that space you know probably like five six seven years ago following people who were in a fairly very obsessive place with exercise so therefore I felt like I had to be in an obsessive place with exercise and then I'd share that I was and someone else got that feeling and it's just it's a tricky and I think that's where social media kind of tricky contributes to all of this doesn't it it does and I I just think we just need to be yeah just sort of careful and Mm. I think we're just starting to sort of recognize and talk about you know this and a sort of duty of care really for our friends and you know other people and ourselves as well and you know just the other things that I it's closely tied into some of the you know things around body image Mm -hmm. you know the stuff I know you you do lots on sort of body image Mm -hmm. too and yeah and just some of the sort of activity patterns that I sort of see is you get, can get quite extreme quite quick for people and mm. I was talking to someone earlier today about doing a 200k um you know race and I just you know I mean just because you know you see someone else doing that people do quite extreme mm. things mm, uh, they do yeah I know there's someone online at the moment who runs every day every day for like I think several years at this point and I think that's been really really celebrated and as much as I, you know, I worry about that person. I worry about when I see their content, I kind of get frustrated that people aren't going like, are you okay? Why do you need to run every day? What happens if you didn't run? What what would happen then? But because it's this, like, it's a streak. So then it's, it gets a lot of external validation from, you know, hundreds of thousands of people online. So that's really hard. And I think... Imagine the pressure of stopping yes. if you're that person. I mean, that's your how do you feel? Now? You're how the... do you feel? How could you stop? I yeah. mean... Man, it's just going to be, and yeah, I think we've got to be. It's just very, it's a very complex mm. area in terms of the sort of psyche yeah. within everything, it's and not the support. Like we know what's going on with that person. No I idea. just find it interesting. I would just, you know, if I were their friend, I'd be like, you know, is everything okay? That would just be my, you know, just a check in. Yeah, and quiet, and I think good, good reason to be as well. Mm. I just think, yeah, I mean, we get a broad spectrum, you know, of, of views online, and you know, unfortunately, the algorithms point us in 
you know, to certain funnels with people. And it's just uh, it's just a, a bit of a minefield out there. It is. This has been fantastic, Brendan. Um, before we go, I have to ask you, what has been your most recent train happy moments? This can be a moment of you just having fun or maybe, um, I don't know, letting go of the pressures of feeling like you have to do an eight, nine, ten. So, do you know, I've, I've recently started boxing. And again, oh. boxing is quite hard, but um, I've got been the going back to. on the screen behind you. There you go. <laughs> so, and I've been working on like footwork, and it's a bit like dancing. And yes. I'm, I'm, I, it's kind of something in terms of like dancing and coordinated movements. I'm a bit dyspraxic, not very good at coordinated movements. So I'm kind of like, oh, I can't do it. So I've just been really enjoying letting the ego go in like a gym with other people and just practicing like really quite basic footwork and, and dancing and that's context mm-hmm. of boxing and, and just not caring and just throwing myself into it. I mean, it's not hard or high intense work and it's it's quite menial but I've just been enjoying sort of dancing and just getting stuff wrong and um just learning and just saying that's fine so I mean I'm enjoying dancing and in the context of boxing at the moment float like a butterfly sting like a bee there you go that's Dr Brendan well I I was going to call out someone so oh yeah I was going to call out uh, for a, a fight Jake Paul but oh okay Jake Paul, if you're listening, we've got already a, a fighter ready. Would you actually compete? Do you want to fight fight? If Jake Paul is up for it, I'll go for it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> you can make some good money off of that. Why not? <laughs> um, this has been brilliant. Um, so, Brendan, where can people find you, find your work, um, find Mind Games, for example? Where, where can they yeah, see what you're doing? Sure. So Mind Games, uh, the experiment is on available on Amazon Prime. So type it in, uh, have a look. And um, yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm not very good at it, but you Brendon Stubbs, you can find me on there. That's the main point. And if you search hard enough, you can find my email and drop me an email. Amazing. This has been so, so helpful. I think people are going to feel really encouraged and are hopefully excited about all the incredible benefits that movement has on their mental health. So thank you so much. Thank you. But that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please do let us know on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Train Happy Podcast. And we do want to hear from you. We want your questions. We want to hear your train happy moments. And we'd love to feature you as Train Happy Trooper of the Week. So remember, you can get in touch with us via our WhatsApp it is 07599927537. And whatever podcast platform you're choosing to listen to us on, please rate and review. It really helps the show and it really helps spread the train a happy message. And that is it for this week. I'll be back with a brand new episode for you next Monday. See you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 